Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. That was a great time of worship, wasn't it? Um, I know you asked the question, who's your favourite child, but after worship like that, <laughs> I think I might be behind in the race. Yeah, um, yeah, I might be slightly behind in the race, but it's quite obvious for me when I hear Deb lead worship um, that it makes sense why we are the way we are in that household. Um, to think that that was in the next bedroom going on, that was being cultivated. By default, I caught something. Um, whether I was trying to or not, um, by default, I caught um, a grace. Um, and actually, hearing her sing Give Thanks actually reminded me of my mum. And, you know, there's a few songs that uh, mum would sing in her soprano um, just around the house. Uh, no, beautiful, beautiful. I mean, it's not, I don't say it to joke, I mean, literally, you would hear her singing these songs around the house, Give Thanks. Um, there was one I heard last night at the, at the wedding. We went to Lucy's wedding yesterday, which was beautiful, um, down in Norwich. But even, even just hearing those simple songs reminds you of, of the glory that's, it, that's within the, the family tree. So, um, like I said, it's, it's no surprise that all of us, all four of us, have caught something. It's good to see Cynthia in the house. I know she had a tough 10 days supporting Arsenal. So, uh, you know I couldn't let you go. I, I waited all week for that one. <laughs> but um, I'm going to pray and get all that stuff out of me. Father, we give you praise and glory. I'm just going to add to what's been said already. We do give thanks. The, 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 literally, the first thing, the, the base that we build from is this base of thanksgiving. <clears throat> Knowing that if we would live our lives based on thanksgiving, we will enter into the presence of God. We will enter into your courts. It's literally the ticket in to a deeper level of revelation and intimacy with you is this heart of thanksgiving. And what more could we ever want to give thanks for but that gift of your son? And yet even with the, the beauty of, of the cross and the empty tomb, it always strikes us that Jesus himself said, it is better for you that I go that I may send another. And so Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you into our midst, into this service. Um, not that you are not here already, but we acknowledge you again. And we invite you to move even deeper upon our hearts, stir up truth and guide us into all truth and remind us of the things that he said, as is your custom. And our Father, finally I thank you for the word you gave me back in 07, that the word you placed in my mouth and the spirit you placed within me shall not depart from my mouth or the mouth of my children or my children's children henceforth forever. That is the covenant you've made with me, Father. So I thank you for this opportunity to see that come to light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please forgive me, guys. I do not have a PowerPoint presentation today. I've been a very tough week at work, so hopefully you guys can, can keep up with me as I'm sharing. The title of today's sermon is The Tale of Two Sons. Okay, The Tale of Two Sons. The tale being a story. And we're going to start off 
we'll jump into 2 Corinthians 3 quickly. Um, knock around in Genesis and then end up in Galatians 4. Okay, so we're looking at the tale of two sons, the story of two sons. So let's, let's start with 2 Corinthians 3. And I want us just to read this and just keep this in the back of our minds and hopefully, God willing, I'll touch back on this later on. In verse 8, it says, Why should not the dispensation of the Spirit, the spiritual ministry whose task it is to cause men to obtain and be governed by the Holy Spirit, be attended with much greater and more splendid glory? Verse 9, For if the service that condemns the ministry of doom had glory... How infinitely more abounding in splendor and glory must be the service that makes righteous, the ministry that produces and fosters righteous living and right standing with God. Verse 10. Indeed, in view of this fact, what once had splendor, the glory of the law in the face of Moses, has come to have no splendor at all. Because of the overwhelming glory that exceeds and excels it, the glory of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, we could stay in those three verses for the next hour if we really uh, decided to. But what I wanted to just bring to your attention as a, as a starting point is this idea that there was a glory in the law. Okay? The law, by that I mean the Old Testament, by that I mean that which was given through Moses and then added upon um, by the Pharisees, Sadducees, as time evolved. Indeed, you know, the Jewish faith now still adhere to many of those uh, precepts and ideas and, and reasonings in and around their faith. And as with anything given by God, there is a good to it. God is good. Everything that proceeds out of him is good. And so it's not for us now in the New Testament to castigate and completely throw away the old and, and demonize it, as it were. But it's for us to place it in its proper context. And the proper context is here explained in 2 Corinthians 3. It had a glory... But that glory faded. I believe this scripture uses the story of Moses at Mount Sinai where he, he placed a veil over his face so that they would, they would peer into this glory, but then it faded. Then it goes on to talk about how the veil has been taken away um, in the new covenant. So like I said, there is a good, you know, everything that comes from God is good, but also there is a glory, but a glory that fades. Okay. So it's for us to ascertain and, and realise which glory we are being attracted to. It says here there is a glory of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. And I'm hopefully by the end of today's session we'll be able to ascertain where we are looking. So the law... So the law depicted the struggle of the flesh okay, to attain right standing with God. It had a glory, but the glory faded over time. As with the Tower of Babel, uh, mankind is very much capable of greatness. But the greatness outside of the divine always comes crashing down. Thus, we are now drawn to the luminescence of the gospel of grace. A life born of the divine and completely devoid of our involvement. 
thus freeing it from the corruption of death that we carry in our flesh. I'm going to say that again. We are now drawn to the luminescence of the glory of the gospel of grace. Okay, the gospel of grace, it has this shine to it that attracts us in. It draws us in. And what it does, it now brings us into this life completely devoid of human involvement. There is nothing about the grace of God that requires you to do anything but believe. So therefore, I have the confidence because post-Eden, right, you can write this down, post-Eden, the story of mankind is that whatever we birth must one day die. The story of Eden, post-Eden, sorry, the story of mankind is that whatever we birth must one day die. Whatever it is that we build must come down. Not because of anything else apart from the fact that it involves us and we ourselves, the Bible talks about us, we are tainted by the corruption of death, okay? The corruption of sin, which is, which is death, and the wages of sin is death. So everything we birth has that taint to it. Every action, every, every castle we build, every mountain we try to establish, every, everything we try to conquer, every empire. There's never been an empire that has lasted forever. It must come crashing down, whether it's after 430 years or, or however long. Everything we put our hands to one day fails. And yet the world lives its life in complete, in this pursuit of something which is everlasting. It lives its life, we, 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 are, we are taught to pursue the pursuit of happiness, let's say. What is happiness? What is joy? What is peace? We try to find it in our careers, we try to find it in our relationships, we try to find it in, in abstract pursuits which, which put us in this position of frustration because we are never able to beat this thing called death. We're never able to get past that hurdle that one day this may die, one day this may end, or one day this may fail. Even the greatest uh, uh, businesses you can ever imagine, they had a moment where they failed. There's always more money to be made. There's always a competitor. There's always a fight. There's always something to wrestle with. So that has placed at the core of humankind this, this frustration. And every single person experiences it. They feel it some way, somehow. That there must be more. There must be something that lasts. So like I said, the post-Eden, the story of mankind is that whatever it is we birth must one day die. Let's jump into Genesis 15 quickly. Genesis 15 verse 1 <clears throat> It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your abundant compensation and your reward shall be exceedingly great. What an intro. I mean, if God showed up in a dream and gave you that as an opening line, pretty special. And Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me? I mean, what a question to ask the creator of the universe. What can you give me seeing that? Going on from this, I am going on from this world childless, and he who shall be the owner and heir of my house is the steward, Eliezer of Damascus. Abram continued, look, you have given me no child, and a servant born in my house is my heir. So basically, it's like you're saying, literally, I have nothing of myself that I can pass my inheritance onto, 
it would be a servant or a slave that would inherit from, you know, from when I pass. Behold, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man shall not be your heir. But he who shall come from your own body shall be your heir. I love this. and this, you know, I've talked about this before. And he brought him outside his tent into the starlight. He said, look now toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. It's interesting. I didn't put this in my notes. But isn't it interesting that he was quabbling, he was, he was debating with God about one. God says, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> look up, look up. So shall your descendants be. Abraham's just, just trying to get the one. I just want the first promotion. God's like, hey, how about you run your own industry? I just, I just, want, I just want one child. How about three? I just want one breakthrough. How about a lifetime? He is the El Shaddai. God Almighty, the many-breasted one, the one for whom largesse is part of his DNA. Okay? Uh, I remember reading a book where it talks about they can imagine God um, taking um, lumps of mud, throwing them in the ocean and calling them islands. Yeah? He's just playing in the dirt. Jamaica. Cuba. <laughs> you know, that, that's... For him, you know... What do you say? I love, I love the braggadocious nature of God. Um, sometimes people say I take it on myself. But, um, you know, if I was hungry, I wouldn't even tell you. Like, that's what he says. Who are you? <laughs> he said to Job, dude, who are you? Tell me, just answer one of these questions. Were you there when I... You know? So he says, look, come outside, Abraham. Well, Abraham at the time. Come outside. Let me show you. Look up. You're, you're debating about just having one. Let me show you the many. You're debating about just getting one worship team on. You're just struggling to put together one worship team with four individuals on a Sunday morning. How about multiple services? How about training up worship teams that can go out and impact other churches? That'd be great. The church starts up down the road. They give us a call and say, hey, can we borrow your worship team for six months? Yeah, that's fine. Here's ten people that have been trained up in the way of Judah. I don't know. It's an idea. I've said it now. <laughs> what? God will talk to me about that tomorrow morning. He'll be like, okay. Right. Anyway. So, so here, just for context, guys. Um, you know what I'm not, I like to give context. Ab- Abram is 75 years old at this point. Now, he's a young whippersnapper. <laughs> In, in biblical terms, at this time in Genesis, he was a young whippersnapper, okay? Um, and there was a lot more to achieve in his life. <laughs> 75 years old. So he gets his promise from God. Already you would think in, in natural terms, dude, the whole childbearing thing has gone past you. But actually, seeing that they were all living to like 500, 400, you know, like I said, he was, he was a teenager. Now by Genesis 16, he's six years old okay let's see what Genesis 16 says now Sarai Abram's wife had borne him no children she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar so Sarai said to Abram see here the Lord has restrained me from bearing children look where she put the blame I'm asking you to have intercourse with my maid and it may be that I can obtain children by her 
Abram listened to and heeded what Sarai said. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her Egyptian maid, after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his secondary wife. He had intercourse with Hagar and she became pregnant. When she saw that she was with child, she looked with contempt upon her mistress and despised her. Okay, so today we're talking about the tale of two sons. Turn to your neighbor and say, we have the first son. It's interesting, he was 86 years old. That's, for me, quick maths, he's 11, that's 11 years since the promise. Now we're going to dip into a bit of Bible uh, numerology. Uh, the number 11 is often given as a number of chaos and judgment. So in the year of chaos and judgment, his wife's frustration, remember she points out and says, the Lord has restrained me. Okay? Even though the Lord was the one who gave the promise. The Lord has restrained me from having kids for 11 years. We're now at this point of chaos and frustration and judgment. So she has now judged herself. She's judged her own womb and said, I can't do this, so this is the way you must go. Abram, in his, um, as a husband, did what his wife instructed. <laughs> nah, let's not do that. Let's not do that. Um, and Abram says, okay, has intercourse with Hagar the Egyptian maid, and we have Ishmael. Ishmael is born. The name Ishmael means God who hears. It'd be very interesting to note if Abraham, whilst playing with Ishmael, thought to himself, it's from me, you said it's from me, maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the child of promise. Ishmael was conceived out of Sarah's frustration. She offered a shortcut bypassing the plan of God. I have no doubt in my mind Abraham, Abraham was a good father. He spoiled his child. He would play with his child, swing him around, take him out to look at the stars, take him on hunting trips, I don't know, whatever. Take him out to the farm with you know, all, the, all the different servants that he had, all the different livestock. There was a glory in that relationship. But the glory was one that would fade. So, like I said, in the, this, this 11 years difference between the promise and Ishmael being born. Let's jump down to Genesis 21. Interesting. Genesis 16 opened up with Sarah saying, The Lord has restrained me from having a child. Genesis 21 opens up with the Lord visited Sarah as he had said and then the Lord did for her as he promised for Sarah became pregnant and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time God had told him. It's interesting that you see the names have changed Sarai, Sarah, Abram to Abraham and this occurred after um, God interrupted Abram again um, and there was a whole ceremony and he added the Yahweh into his name. Abram became Abraham, Sarai became Sarah. If you look at it in the Hebrew, there's an there's a indication that it was the introduction of Yahweh into the story that changed his name. It's a whole other sermon for another day. And Abraham uh, named his son, who Sarah brought him, Isaac, laughter. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. 
Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Quick recap. How old was he in Genesis 15? Now he's 100. How many years is that? 25 years. How many years is that since Ishmael was born? 14. What do we have there? We have 5 times 5, grace upon grace, 25 years. We have 7 and 7, 14. I never even realized this until I read it this week. The birth of Isaac was literally perfection and grace meeting together. Grace upon grace, five times five. Grace multiplied by grace. And you have this 14-year wait between Ishmael, who again, there would have been a glory, there would have been an enjoyment, there would have been a joy. Abraham would have enjoyed raising his son. But now we have our second son. Again, turn to your neighbor and say, we have our second son. Isaac was a child of joy, his laughter, born of great faith, and we know that from Romans 4.20, um, an incredible scripture, uh, talked about Abraham, that he wrestled, struggled not and stumbled not at the promises of God, but remained strong in faith, giving glory to God. I like to read it backwards. Giving glory to God, he remained... Hold on, how do we do it? He remained strong in faith and stumbled not at the promises of God. Um... That for, me is, that, that for me is the way to do it. Giving glory to God is your starting point. And then you end up not stumbling. Live your life with that every day and, and you'll be fine. So he's born of great faith. Faith without works is dead. For 25 years, even after Ishmael, Abraham still chased his wife around the bed. 70 years, 75 years old, 80 years old, 92 years old. Come on, let's be real. Sarah, maybe tonight. (laughs) Sarah's like, yo, I'm 82. Come on, man. (laughs) He's like, but God said. Let's be real. Month after month after month, frustration. Doubt, maybe, tried to set in. And yet, he would always have the opportunity, even with Ishmael playing around in the dirt, to step out and look at the stars. Okay, maybe. There was a great faith that propelled him. And I believe this faith was rooted in a revelation of God's love. Remember we spoke about it, I think the last time I shared, that the gospel was preached to Abraham. The gospel being the story and the detail of this intense and wonderful love with which God loved us. In that he sent his son Christ to die for us. So this gospel was preached to Abraham. Abraham has his revelation in his heart. This provokes a great faith which provokes him to work, and Sarah conceives. Uh, Genesis 21, I'm saying 21, verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. I believe this is the age of two or three, I'm not entirely sure. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian. No, he doesn't even use his name. Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, mocking Isaac. So we have our two sons. We have our two central characters, Ishmael and Isaac. And Ishmael, 14 years older, is mocking the child of promise. 
Therefore, she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. Anything left in your life that is of the law will be intimidated by that which is of grace. Ishmael and Isaac cannot live in the same house. And until Ishmael leaves, Isaac will not thrive. Anything left in your life that is of the law will be intimidated by that which is of grace. Now, you may think it should be the other way around, that it's the law that intimidates the grace, that it's the Ishmael that intimidates the Isaac. But what did I say about the two glories? One fades, one lives forever. So that which is stronger, even though it may be younger, quote unquote, has such a luminescence to it, such an influence, that it starts to push against the old. That's why you can't put new wine in old wineskins. It starts to push. And all of a sudden, the old wineskins burst because there was such a weight, a glory to the new. When Isaac shows up, the, from day one, from age 100, when Isaac showed up, the clock was ticking on Ishmael. That's it. Your time's up, dude. Your glory was here, but it's fading. And we must now remove you from the house. Until Ishmael leaves, Isaac will never thrive. What does that mean for us? Emerging from the shadow of the pandemic, I believe every Christian who remains steadfast is now finding themselves reimagining their life. By this, I mean that previous practices may no longer feel the same as before. Why? Because we are now embracing the brand new shoots of righteous activity which has been rooted in our identity above anything. Okay? So if you survey the garden of your life, there's these, these shoots of something new. Why? Because all activity was stripped from us, finally. And finally, we learn to have church as sons and daughters, not worship leader, worship musician, pastor, lay person. All those titles and, and the roles that we serve in church got stripped. There was no need for ushers when I'm in my front room. Now, that may sound silly to you, but I believe heaven was rejoicing because finally the head usher could just sit down and listen. Finally, the worship pastor could just sit down, not worry about rotors and not worry about who's on and flow and all that kind of stuff. Just receive. And he did. And finally, the attention of, of Christendom was being held by a God who wanted to promote and help us realize that identity will always be first. It's who you are in me more than what you do. It's your Isaac, not the Ishmael. It's that which is of me the identity I've given you, not that which you can produce of yourself. So finally, he has our attention. But now, everything's going back. We're back in church, we're back in service, we're back being worship pastor, we're back being head usher, you know, sound, all these different things. Whether, whether you have a role or not in church, we're, we're back doing church. 
but we can't escape what we experienced. We can't escape what we embraced in that time. I call them the brand new shoots of righteous activity. Because there is activity in the kingdom. There are things to do in the kingdom. We will pray, we will cast out demons, we will heal the sick. But righteous activity is activity which is stemmed in a revelation of identity as opposed to just being busy for the sake of being busy. Let's not be Martha. Let's not cook a meal that Christ didn't want. I'd rather sit at his feet because that is the greater thing. That is the greater choice. It's all well and good being busy that has a glory. But the higher glory is just to sit and receive from my Jesus. However, like I said, as we survey the landscape of our lives, we notice that these brand new shoots are in danger of being strangled by the old weeds. The old weeds are things we are used to doing in order to prove ourselves before God. And thus we have Ishmael and Isaac both living in the same house. Galatians 4, 23 to 20. Let's start from verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondmaid and one by the free woman. We've already looked into this, haven't we? We've seen these two sons. But whereas the child of the slave woman was born according to the flesh and had an ordinary birth, the son of the free woman was born in fulfillment of the promise. Now, on the surface, you will see two sons being born. But one, it says here, is born according to the flesh and one is born in fulfillment of the promise. On the surface, you could look at your life and say, oh yeah, that's of God. On the surface, you could look at it and go, ah, maybe, but no. Sometimes, what we're looking at isn't the promise. It's our own flesh. Case in point, memorizing scripture. It's a good thing to memorize scripture. It's a good thing to meditate on the word and meditate on scripture. But it's very easy to do that as a working of your own flesh. I've been there. Well, how many scriptures do I know? Oh yeah, I've got another one down. And I can quote Psalm 23. John 17, yeah, I know that. You know. <laughs> My friends and even Denise sometimes mentioned it. I had this little Amplified Bible and I'd read it so much I would remember what side of the page the scripture was on. I could boast in that. That could be my thing. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. And I finish in every scripture that pastor's preaching. And I use that to pat myself on the back. Or I could have a humble fear. You hear what I mean? That when you open it, you realize even the scripture I've read a thousand times can open up a portal of revelation for me. Amen. And so I hold this Bible, even, I'll be honest, when I'm preparing scriptures, oftentimes, preparing sermons, oftentimes God uses scriptures that I already know. And I'm like, I have to fight with that urge to not, to not read it again. Because, oh, I'm not, oh, it says. Yeah, I'll write some notes down. 
the tale of two sons. Yeah, we're in. Bam, 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 bam. Read it again. Okay. Even this, I thought this was going to end up somewhere else when I first started writing this about a month ago. And then I started reading over the past couple of weeks, and all of a sudden I'm in Genesis. I thought I was going to do a verse by verse breakdown of Galatians 4. That was my original plan. He said, No, no, go to Genesis. Study this. Look at this. Go here. Bam, bam. Look at the numbers. Oh, that's something different. I've not heard that one before. Things that we've read so many times. So it's important for us to to ascertain what is of the promise and what is of the ordinary birth. Verse 24. Now all this is an allegory. These two women represent two covenants. One covenant originated from Mount Sinai, where the law was given, and bears children destined for slavery, that is Hagar, now, Hagar is, or stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds and belongs in the same category with the present Jerusalem, for she is in bondage together with her children. But the Jerusalem above, the messianic kingdom of Christ, is free, and she is our mother. For it is written in the scriptures, Rejoice, O barren woman who has not given birth to children. Break forth into a joyful shout, you who are not feeling birth pangs. For the desolate woman has many more children than she who has a husband. But we, brethren, are children not by physical descent, as with Ishmael, but like Isaac, born in virtue of promise. Just, yet just as at that time, the child of ordinary birth, born according to the flesh, despised and persecuted him who was born remarkably, according to the promise and the working of the Holy Spirit, so it is now also. But what does the scripture say? cast out and send away the slave woman and her son. For never shall the son of the slave woman be heir and share the inheritance with the son of the free woman. I love what it just says there. The child, according, the child born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born remarkably. There was one who was born remarkably. Turn to your neighbor and say, I have been born remarkably. According to the promise and working of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now you may think, oh, that's a bit weird. I know my parents. <laughs> Which is why you read, uh, is it John 3, when Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is like, Are you saying that I must enter into my. He thought he was being really smart there. Are you saying that me, grown man, <laughs> must enter again into my mother's womb? No, 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 no. There is a birth of the Spirit. Uh, John 1, where it says, you know, he came into his own and his own received him not. But to those who did receive him, he gave them the power to become sons of God. I've said it multiple times. It's the Benaiha Elohim, the direct creation of God. Okay, 2 Corinthians, I believe, 5. Um, Behold all things. The old things have passed away. All things have been made new. Okay. Christ himself was preaching the ministry of reconciliation through us. So there is a new birth. There is a, and all of us who are, who are Christians and, and children of God can lay claim to this title that we have been born remarkably, that we are according to the promise and working of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting because Ishmael would have always known that he was the son of a slave. 
doesn't matter how old he got, how big he got, doesn't matter how many weights he lifted, how many livestock he was able to raise, doesn't matter any of his achievements, he would have always known he was of the flesh. He, all, all he needs to do is look at his mother, who wouldn't have had living quarters with Abraham, would, would have not had any major interaction with Abraham, who would still be serving Sarah, even though she's given birth to this child, to this great man. She still was serving as the handmaid of Sarah. So it was very clear, every single time Ishmael would ever think above his quote-unquote station, it was very obvious, he would always known he was the son of a slave. Isaac need only look at the wrinkles on Sarah's hand to see that everything about him was divine. All he had to do is just look at how old his mother was. And by default, he realized he was a child of the promise. Because such, this should not be. All he had to do was see the wrinkles. Maybe she struggled up to get up in the morning to come out of bed. Maybe he had to help her out of bed because she was so old. I'm making it real because sometimes we read these things and we go, oh, yeah, she had a baby at 100. No, come on, guys. Like, <laughs> at 100, when he's five years old, mum, 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 she's 105. She's lived a bit. She's traveled from her arm to, you know, <laughs> she's got miles in the legs. So all he had to do was see maybe her creaking or maybe the ache in her back and maybe he'd look at Abraham and see how Abraham would sigh at the beginning of every morning or maybe at the end when the livestock were in their, their paddock or whatever. And he'd hear Abraham just maybe complain about his back or his knees. And that was enough of a clue that he would know forever that he was of the divine. And yet, the son of a slave would mock the son of the divine. Let's look at it as mentalities. The mentality of a slave, the mentality of a son. The Ishmael finds absolute fulfillment in church attendance, meaningless scripture reading, and self-critique. Isaac finds absolute fulfillment when he looks into the eyes of his father and receives the assurance of peace that passes understanding, unconditional love, and beloved identity. Now, I'm not saying that scripture reading is meaningless in its essence, neither am I saying that church attendance is meaningless. But it's only Isaac, who start, the starting point of Isaac is the divine. It's, it's literally the blessing of God that produced Isaac the working of the spirit according to the promise of God. And that is rooted in love. And only when we build our lives rooted in love first can we then operate in the workings of the kingdom with the security knowing that this is not coming from my flesh. And that has to be where we go back to. I mean, when the Lord was talking to me about healing the sick, for years, it was just a thing I did. And I would pray into it as something I did until he revealed himself as the healer. It's not what I do, it's who I am, son. If you are of me, it's not necessarily what you do, it's who you are. You heal the sick because of who you are in me. Who are you? The Dahavid, the beloved. 
I remember, I remember where I was when he began to open this up. He said, every act of healing is an extension of my love. And he said to me, and this is why I pray the way I pray when I'm praying for healing. Because I used to always go on the healing scriptures. By his church, about four or five in the, in the chamber, just ready to go. And there was success. There was a level of success. And let's not kid myself. We've seen some incredible things. And then he said to me, no, don't pray that anymore. The first thing I want you to do is to confess my love over that individual. Completely life-changing. And you know what I then realized? There was an ease. So instead of me going, right, here's one scripture. Oh, that didn't work. Here's a second scripture. That didn't work. Third scripture. (laughs) I'm like, oh, there's no more. Instead of me being like that, it was just, do you know he loves you? I remember one time, it's at Chosen, you know that night at Chosen when things went a bit crazy with Cindy Jacobs? And it was like, however many people I ended up praying for. <laughs> there was one lady, I'll never forget, she, I think it was something to do with her legs. Had like a pain in her hip or something like that. She was standing on this side of the, of the line. So I'd already gone past halfway. She told me what was wrong with her and, and the Lord said to me, give her a hug. Now, I didn't, I didn't, this was actually before this whole love is the starting point of my healing. So I, it's only in, when I'm looking back that I realized what he was teaching me. He was like, give her a hug and tell her the Holy Spirit wants to give you a hug. Okay? So I gave her a hug and I said, oh, the Holy Spirit told me that he wants to give you a hug. So do you mind? <laughs> Keep it PC. So I gave her a hug. And she she burst into tears. Burst into tears. Then the Lord said, all right, now move on to the next person. You don't want me to pray for her? No, you're done. Move on to the next person. I remember Deji was there, he was walking back and he was like, and I went. (laughs) (laughs) I had no clue what was going on. I spoke to her the next day and said, oh, you know, how are you? I didn't get a chance to get the report, you know. She was like, yeah, I have no pain. She said, when you gave me a hug, she said, I realized the source of my pain was the fact I went through a divorce a few years ago. And I needed to feel a hug from a man. And as soon as you hugged me, it released it. So I was like, oh. When he says hug, hug. <laughs> it was the love that released the healing. It was the identity that released the activity. It's Isaac who grows up and inherits the land, not Ishmael. The son can look into the father's eyes and also attend church and read scripture. But the slave would do all these things and never look into the father's eyes. The slave would be so obsessed with what I've got to do, 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 that they never take a moment to Martha, pots, pans, everything. And she was probably a brilliant cook. How do you know? Jesus came back to the house a few times. So I'm, I'm sure her flatbread was great. I'm sure. Whatever. I don't know. Come on now. Mezea, bored. 
a grill, a Mediterranean grill, let's call it that. I'm sure her food was great. Jesus had been there multiple times, he was a friend. But at that time, that's not what I needed to do. You're cooking a meal I never ordered. You're doing something I never even asked of you. And the grace of God is such that he won't impose. He'll watch you being busy. <laughs> he will show up whilst you're being busy. And I can testify. <laughs> he shows up. And it's only when you're on the other side you realise all that was rubbish. Before, um, before 2017, I was so busy with music. So busy. I was in the studio every Monday till 2, 3 in the morning, going back to work the next day, pursuing this. I've got to do this. This is my gift. I remember God said to me, 2016, chosen, he said, I want you to believe me for uh, a number one, a UK number one. I said, why? He said, because if you produce a number one, that means the number one, when he, he said to me, a number one is the most dominant sound in that country for that week. He said, so I want it to come from one of mine. Doesn't matter what song it is. If that song has been produced by one of my children, the most dominant sound in the, in the country at that time is of me. So I want you to believe for one. What did I do? In the studio, every week. Bam, bam. Is this the... Oh, maybe not that one. I was working with all these different artists. I was making phone calls, getting people in the studio. Busy, busy, busy. Then we're on the road with Lucy. This gig, that gig. Overseas, here in England. All this stuff. Busy, busy, busy. And then I met Jesus in 2017. And it all stopped. By choice. I just had no appetite for it. I was, at, I was in the house more. Sure, my wife was happy. Okay, hey, I can see him on a Monday night. You know, we can have dinner together. We can hang out, talk, <laughs> get to know one another. And I remember one day she said to me, she said, like, what, what about like, your dream? I feel like you've given up on it. And I said, nah. I was doing all of that stuff and I didn't have Jesus. So what's the point? It was actually worthless. And yet there was a glory. The sick were being healed. People were having success with some of my music, whatever. There was a glory, but it was absent of the divine. So I now consider it worthless because I'd rather have Christ as a, as a real continuous revelation and then be busy, then being busy and not happen. And there's more peace in my life, there's more contentment, more fulfillment, for, you know, regardless of what I do or don't do. People say to me all the time, even yesterday at the, at the wedding, hey, you still doing the music? Well, yeah. Oh, what things are you up to? Expecting me to make this list. Ah, just do what, whatever comes in. Where when I was 20, 25, I was chasing the world tour, O2 Arena, Wembley, bam, bam, bam. I did all those things and didn't have a revelation of Christ. It is worthless. Even now when some of the kids at school, they find out, they do a bit of research online, they go, oh, sir, I heard that you played here. You did this, you were on that tour. What's that like? Guys, it's not even that. It's not even that interesting, really. 
Yeah, but sir, you with this person, you with that celebrity. Trust me, it's very boring. You're sitting in the green room for a lot of it. You're on stage for 12 minutes, come off, and then you're back in the green room with people you don't want to ever be with. People that I probably won't even talk to. Again, till the next gig, the next paycheck. So I've lived it. I'm not, I'm not just bringing this stuff to you. I've, I've, been, I've seen Ishmael. I've lived with Ishmael in my house. This child who always looks to work, the child of a slave, with a slave mentality that tries to prove himself in front of his father by what he can do and do and do. But when Ishmael is removed from the house, Isaac goes from being a son to an heir. The moment Ishmael is removed, that which he would have been able to discard as the youngest son, because from the outside looking in, no one would have known child or slave, promise, whatever. In custom, they would have said, that is the eldest son, Ishmael. He is the heir to Abraham's, all of Abraham's estate. But the moment Ishmael is removed, Isaac is elevated into his rightful position and the son now becomes an heir. Because he's now the oldest. And now the full attention of the father is directed on that which is of the divine. So is it not worth it for us to look at our lives and maybe see what is of Ishmael and what's of Isaac? What do I do in, in an attempt to just prove myself before God? I don't really trust him in my finances, so I've got to make sure I'm the one getting that promotion or let me make sure I network with this person to put myself in their good graces. Yeah. I've, got, I've got to make sure I'm in. Everyone else is taking Johnny out for lunch. What's his favourite restaurant? What does he like? Hebrew meze? What was it? What's his favourite food? Come on. Hey, Johnny, hey, I've got this Starbucks for you, man. How you doing? How's your weekend? Yeah, great, 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 great. Pow, pow, pow. Right, maybe, maybe talking to your wife late at night. Yeah, yeah, me and Johnny, yeah, we get on real well. Yeah, I'm sure when the next round comes, yeah, you're thinking about me. Then you don't get that promotion. Hey, Andy, how you doing, man? How you doing? Pow, 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 pow. Andy, what's your favourite food? Yeah, let's, let's catch up. You go from Johnny to Andy to Sarah to David trying to prove yourself in order to get that big break. Or, let me gaze into my father's eyes. Why? Where's promotion come from? From the Lord. Andy, you're good. Johnny, you're great. <laughs> I'm sure you guys have sway. But I have another voice in the bow. I have another voice putting himself forward. This is what I, I've said this many, for many years. When it, especially when it comes to work. This, this is one of the key foundational revelations I have about work. If I am in the building, this place is blessed. And if I go for a job, God decides whether I get it or not. So if you don't pick me, it wasn't your choice to make. He'd already said no, so I'm okay with that. Because if he said yes, there is not one man, woman, child, demon, high principality or whatever that could stop his yes. If he said yes, it is my job. So what do I have to fear? Hey, you going for that job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You nervous? No, not really. How, how comes 
but you know, it's a big job. It's a bit of a step up for someone from your background. Yeah, I know. God's got me. I agree. I shouldn't tick all those boxes. That's fine. The divine doesn't tick the boxes that you tick. That's the nature of it. It's, It's an unfair advantage. The ball's firmly always in our court. So I shoot the half court. I go to the rack. I make my layups, alley, whatever. I'm going to take every shot. Because if he says yes, no one can do anything about it. Cool. All right. Daddy's got me. That's, what, that's how a son, that's how an heir operates. That's what they think. Ah, some of those businesses really, really kicking off. Some of those ministries, oh, they come out of the pandemic, they've got 100 now. Oh, they've got 150. Oh, they've got a new building. Oh, they've got, oh, 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 oh. Where are we? Oh, yeah, man. Shouldn't we be? No, 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 no. If God is for us, what could be more important than that? What it, why would I ever even let anything else enter my mind apart from if God be for me, who can be against me? Put all of them out there. Line them up. If he be for me, I'm all right. Was it, um, I don't know where it is, Second Kings 6 or something like that? I know, with um, Elisha, when he had his servant, his servant's like, yo, how are we going to do this? Because all the, the armies were arrayed against him, and Elisha prayed. And this is a prayer that I used to pray when I was younger. Younger. Because Elisha says, he says, um, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. The next verse says, and the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. And he saw the angels. He saw there was more arrayed for him than there can ever be arrayed against him. So what would you look at? Would you look at the people that are setting themselves up against you? Would you look at the persecution? Look at the mockery? Look at what your family been saying? You're deadbeat. That business idea is never going to launch. It's been 20 years. You still think that God's going to be able to do it for you? Maybe you're the only one who's a Christian in your family. Maybe you're believing God for a loved one to come to Christ and it's been so many years. Maybe they're getting worse. The situation is progressing. You're like, oh my gosh. If God be for you, Isaac, who can be against you? If you are who you are, the child of the divine, a complete creation of God, the Benaiha Elohim, the son of God, if you are a child of God, what is there to fear? So now we're free from the fear that accompanies slavery that maybe the master wouldn't, wouldn't accept my gift. Maybe the master wouldn't accept my work and maybe the reason why I'm still ill waiting for this sickness to pass is because maybe I didn't do something good during... Your goodness is chasing after me. This is how a son thinks. Even whilst there's pain in my hip, thank you, Father, for you are so good. Your love is everlasting. You can give me a new hip right now or in 10 years' time. It doesn't change who I am. It doesn't change who you are. You've caused me to be the head and not the tail. Yeah, I know I'm struggling to walk up the stairs right now, but I am the head and not the tail. Above and not beneath, with the ability to lend to many and never have to borrow. There is freedom in my loins. There's freedom that flows from me. Everywhere I go is blessed because I'm in the building. Because if I'm there, 
I know that I have the complete fullness of the Godhead on the inside of me. So if I have the complete fullness of the Godhead on the inside of me, God is there. If God is there, his kingdom is there. If his kingdom is there, his spirit is there. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So, of course, there is freedom in this doctor's surgery. What did you say, doctor? Cool. Thank you very much. What's on the inside? Is it Isaac or is it Ishmael? The tale of two sons, is it Isaac or is it Ishmael? Let's go to Ephesians 1. I've got just two more scriptures and then we'll close it out. Ephesians 1, 3. And we're going to go all the way down to 12. But I'm going to read it differently. I'm going to read it in the first person. I did this for, I think it was like seven months. Five times a week. Until it became alive on the inside of me. May blessing, praise, laudation, and eulogy be to the God and Father of my Lord Jesus Christ. The Messiah who has blessed me in Christ with every spiritual, given by the Holy Spirit, blessing in the heavenly realm. Even as in his love he chose me, he actually picked me out for himself as his own. In Christ before the foundation of the world, that I should be holy, consecrated and set apart from him and blameless in his sight. Even above reproach, I am above reproach, before him in love. Verse 5. For he foreordained me, he destined me, planned in love for me to be adopted and revealed as his own child through Jesus Christ in accordance with the purpose of his will. Why? Because it pleased him and it was his kind intent. Verse 6. So that I might be to the praise and accommodation of his glorious grace, favour and mercy, which he so freely bestowed upon me in the beloved. In him I have redemption, deliverance and salvation through his blood, the remission, forgiveness of my offences, shortcomings and trespasses, in accordance with the riches and generosity of his gracious favour, which he lavished upon me in every kind of wisdom and understanding, practical insight and prudence. Making known to who? Me. The mystery, secret of his will. I have the secrets of heaven. He's made it known to me. Uh, of his plan, of his purpose. And it is this. In accordance with his good pleasure. This, <laughs> sorry. What is the secret of his will? What's it? It's here. In accordance with his good pleasure, his merciful intention, which he had previously set forth in him, he planned for the maturity of the times and the climates of the ages, to unify all things and head them up and consummate them in Christ, both things in heaven and things on the earth. In him I made, and made God's heritage, his portion, and I have obtained an inheritance. For I have been foreordained, chosen and appointed beforehand in accordance with his purpose, who works out everything in agreement with the counsel and design of his own will, so that I, who first hoped in Christ, who first put my confidence in him, have been destined and appointed to live for the praise of his glory. That could have been the whole sermon. There is so much goodness in those scriptures. He's lavished upon me every kind of wisdom and understanding. In him I have the remission of my sins. I am to the praise and commendation of his glorious grace. When you see me, I am a testimony to the grace of God. I am to his commendation. Like, if you want to look for a reference on the glory of the grace of God, just look at me. 
I can't remember who said it first. The chief end of man is bringing glory to God and to enjoy him forever. Romans 5, 1 and 2. This is our last scripture. Therefore, since we are justified, acquitted, declared righteous, and given a right standing with God through faith, let us grasp the fact that we have the peace of reconciliation to hold and to enjoy peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And in verse 2, through him also, we have our access, entrance, introduction by faith into this grace, this state of God's favour in which we firmly and safely stand. And let us rejoice and exult in our hope of experiencing, and I believe one scripture is actually enjoying the glory of God. Amen. Now remember from John 17, 22, glory and intimacy go hand in hand. Let's read this second scripture again. Through him we also have our access and entrance introduction by faith into this grace, the state of God's favour in which we firmly and safely stand. And let us rejoice and exult in our hope of experiencing and enjoying intimacy with God. How should you live your life, Isaac? How should you live your life? I should live my life rejoicing and exulting in the hope of experiencing and enjoying intimacy with God. That's it. That's all I need to do. I'll do that first. Everything else comes second. Let me gaze into my father's eyes. Let me look at Abraham and see. If I do that for however many years, that will enable me that even when my dad tells me we're going up yonder and he lays me on the altar and he raises his knife, I can look at him and go, okay. I can learn even in that moment the definition of worship. Right? That's the first time in here, Genesis, what, 22? Where the word worship is used in scripture. The law first mentioned, uh, theologians will tell you, indicates that the first time a word is used in scripture, it usually is accompanied by something which is crucial to its definition. So God says to Abraham, wake up tomorrow and go and sacrifice your son. Abraham says to his, um, to his uh, followers, so stay here, me and the lad are going to go yonder and worship. God called it sacrifice, Abraham called it worship. And from that time to Christ on the cross, Matthew 27, 50, worship and sacrifice been hand in hand. Therefore, in view of God's mercies, offer up your body as a living sacrifice. In view of God's mercies. The thread is there. Worship and sacrifice. And it's Isaac, it's the child of promise who learns this first hand. He hears his father say, worship, but also sees him prepare to sacrifice. And when he got up off that altar and the ram was been, I'm sure Isaac went, okay, that's what worship looks like. That's what trust looks like. That's what faith looks like. He began to join the dots. 
as he matured in his promise to the point he then began to dig wells at one point. He began to manage the land and he took the inheritance of Abraham and made it even more. Gave birth to a Jacob and an Esau. And out of him, all the nations of the earth have been blessed. Out of whom? Not Ishmael, not the slave, not the one who works for his father's affection, but out of the one who knew from the wrinkles in Sarah's face, I must be of God. So when Ishmael had to fend for himself in the hills of Midian and Sinai, Isaac simply nestled himself in the bosom of his father. He had the full and undivided attention of his father. And even at a young age, he would have been known, recognized, and treated as the sole heir of his father's estate. Three years old, Ishmael was removed from the house. And from that point on, Isaac was known, recognized, and treated as a sole heir to Abraham's estate. When you get rid of your Ishmael, when you root out those old weeds, those practices that have been based in effort and my flesh, when you get rid of them, at that point, you'll be recognized, treated, known as the sole heir to your father's estate. So what shall we say then, seeing that we stand to inherit the Lord himself? What more is there to debate? What more is there to worry about, seeing that the Lord himself is our portion? The Lord himself is our inheritance. So I speak to myself, I say, lift up your head, O ye gates. Like a king of glory may come in. Why art thou downcast, O my soul? I will yet trust in the Lord who is the health of my countenance. For I gaze upon my father's eyes and I see in his eyes a love that chased me down for two millennia. I said, you are the one I want. You're the one I'm going to trust. You're the one I'm going to use. You're the one I'm going to love on. And as I gaze into his eyes, I see emerging out of this haze of love, a reflection. And in that, I realize I am simply a son. And if I be a son, I must be an heir. And therefore, I come to the realization of who I am and what I can do. I realize that everywhere I go, so does peace follow. I realize everywhere I go, so does power follow. I realize that everywhere I go, so does love follow. Because I am of love. I am of peace. I am of power. So what shall we say then to these things, seeing that the Lord himself is our heir? That's the question that is before us. And I believe if we as a collective community of believers... And everyone present here and also those maybe listening to this on the podcast. If you would dare to kick Ishmael out of the house, to give Isaac an opportunity to thrive, this world will never be the same. Instead of chasing the seven mountains, we climb our own. For we have a mountain, it's called Mount Zion. Let Ishmael worry about Sinai. Let Ishmael worry about the other mountains. Isaac goes after Zion. And you know what the scripture says? In the last days, the mountain of the Lord shall be exalted above all the others. 
So this is the higher pursuit. This is the greater pursuit. That I seek only to climb one mountain. Because who shall ascend upon the hill of the Lord? He that has clean hands, a pure heart, who's not lifted up his soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, is Isaac, who finds affection in his father's eyes. Let's pray. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, I thank you that even now you are revealing to our hearts where the Ishmael may lie. Lying in the weeds and the the grass of routine, common practice, tradition. Father, we divorce ourselves from that which may render your word to no effect. We divorce ourselves from the traditions of man which renders your word to no effect. And we rather allow ourselves to be drawn to the luminescence, this brightness of the glory of grace. A glory which never fades. A life which is everlasting. An impact, an influence that can change the world. Father, give us the courage to live every day in the revelation of the beloved knowing that we are yours and no one else. Doesn't matter what our story was before now, doesn't matter what our story was to this point, from this point forward, we are your beloved. And we will live our lives as such. No more human effort. We simply believe. And we will see signs and wonders follow us every single day of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 